Okay, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started. I hear me, so it's it's working. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and our time together. Lord, we do pray that you help us to understand what your scripture says about how the church should be run. We pray that we will uh, grow in our understanding of the church, and that we will understand our roles in the church, and that we will... Proclaim the gospel to the community, and may Grace Bible Church be a light to the community of your glory and grace. We thank you for Christ and him being the head of the church, and he is our master that we submit to. We're thankful that he is Lord of all and that he is working in his body uh, to sanctify his children and help us to be equipped. Lord, help us to accomplish what you want us to do today in this service and then in the one to come. We love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we left off with the, uh, we talked a little bit about the different types of government that churches have. I want to go over a couple of these. There's the Episcopal, you can write that down, Episcopal, uh, form of government, and that is the government power in the hands of the bishops, and it comes from the idea of episcopos, which is uh, also translated overseers. It maintains a threefold ministry of the church, bishops, presbyters, priests, and deacons. So that's the, L, uh, the Episcopalian ver version of it. There's the bishops the presbyters, and the deacons. The essential co concept of this government is, is, that, uh, is the right to consecrate other bishops and ordained priests and deacons only belongs to the bishops. And some practice apostolic succession, like the Catholics do somewhat, the historic episcopate, and other, others, like the Methodists, claim, historic, or no, claim no historic succession. But Methodists use the same form of government. That is, they have bishops, presbyters, or priests, and deacons. And the types that use this government are the Orthodox, the Anglicans, the Roman Catholics, and the Methodists. Okay? You have any questions about that? Yes, sir. The Methodists have priests? They have priests. They have bishops, they have priests, and they have deacons. Uh, uh, yes, they can. They can. Not all, obviously. Methodists as a whole were started by Charles Wesley, the Wesleys, and so they're, they lean very heavily Arminian. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to write them all off. I would say probably... A hundred years ago, Methodists were a lot stronger than Methodists of today. But yes, as a whole, I think they can preach a, a biblical gospel. Yes, sir. And I'll get to you. Uh, the Anglicans, uh, the Greek Orthodox, the Roman Catholics, the Methodists, and I would add the Episcopalians. The Anglicans, that's right. That's right. So the American form of the uh, of of this Episcopal form is the 
Episcopalians. All right. And yes, sir, what was your question? conservative, reformed, or even in our circles. I don't know of a... Right now, I don't... I, you can't, I can't name you a, a Methodist pastor that would be solidly evangelical that hasn't slid. I can name you some Anglicans that I would highly respect. John Stott. Uh, J.I. Packer. Packer's Anglican. Yeah. Anglican is the Church of England that separated from Roman Catholicism under King Henry VIII. And they believe in this form of government, which is bishops, priests, and deacons. So they look a lot more like Catholics? Yes, Anglicans, I would say, look a, little, a lot more like uh, Catholics. However, they would, I think they would be they would consider themselves uh, Protestants. The, the security guard at U, uh, UPS is uh, Muslim, and he was he worked for the U.S. Embassy in Egypt, and he talks about Christians that he interacted with his throughout. I mean, he's old; he's in his eighties, but uh, he talks about all the Christians that he'll call them Anglicans. Anglican, he always says that. Yeah. That's a big reference point. Especially in Egypt. I really didn't understand. Yeah. yeah. In Egypt, the Christians mostly refers to the. Yeah, the, the queen or and the king are the head of the Anglican Church, in England. So do they have? Would we have issue with Anglicans? Like as far as it's a lot of stuff he says. I'm like, well, that's not what I believe. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would have, especially now. I'd have a lot more problems with Anglicans than I would 50 years ago. 50 years ago, well, more like 100 years ago, I'd say Anglicans were pretty solid. But, it, it, again, this is this downward spiral that happens with denominations. Yes, the Anglican Church, again, when Henry, but here's, the reason why the Anglican Church was started, the Church in England was started, is not because they really wanted to be Protestant, it was because King Henry VIII wanted to marry his, wanted to marry Anne Boleyn, and he was married to another woman, and the Pope wouldn't give him, he would not, uh, what do you call it, wouldn't resolve or annul the wedding so that he could marry this other woman, because he had a son with the first one, um, so the the Church of England officially started out of not good reasons. However, it it's also at around these times, you know, the King James version of the Bible and all these things. So Protestantism, for lack of a better term, took hold in the Anglican Church. Right, so the bishops. Yeah, exactly. The split. So the true Episcopalians were the Anglicans. Right. Per se. And then the 
Yeah, I, I would, I would, if I were you, I would. This is how I would view it. I would view Anglicans as some are good and some are bad. That's how I would view it, because I think there's some Anglican missionaries around the world and some Anglican areas, maybe in South Africa and some of these places that did not fall away as much as the Anglican Church in England. So we can't write them all off because there might be some solid ones down in various parts of the world. The Episcopal Church is the American form of the Anglican Church. The Episcopal Church started because the colonists didn't want to submit to the King of England and wanted they wanted to be separate. So the Episcopal Church was, if you go back and look in history, I was reading this this week, uh, um, most of the first ten presidents of the United States were Episcopal. Or listed as deists. Why wouldn't they just uh, go with the Catholic Church? What was their divide to the Catholic Church? Yeah, when the Episcopals, again, by the time that the American colonies were formed, the Reformation has had taken hold in the Church of England. So the Anglican Church as a whole, the Protestants in England were pretty solid. So when the Americans started the colonies, they didn't want to be under the king, so they separated. They formed their own bishops. And so the Episcopal Church was hatched in America. I was an Episcopal before I became a believer. <laughs> well, I mean, I, again, I did the little candles. I did the little candles and stuff. I was clueless of what the gospel was. And I went to church pretty regularly for a while. I was confirmed there. I was baptized there. Huh? Yeah, I had the little water sprinkled on my head and and rang the bells and washed the priest's fingers and and drank the extra wine when I was 14. Huh? I was an altar boy for the Episcopal Church. I, 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 because my parents didn't have me baptized when I was a baby, which you can be as an Anglican or as an Episcopal, but I got baptized later in life. So it wasn't a believer's baptism? No, it wasn't a Well, I think they might, wait, let me, let me. They might have, they might have said, you're a believer, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm a believer. You know what I mean? And I went through the, the process. My dad was an Episcopalian, my mom, my grandmother's an Episcopalian, or was an Episcopalian. Um, so I, I think there's believers that are an Episcopalian church. I don't think it's a lot of them right now. At least that's my take. Okay, so let's let's keep going. So how did they come to this? Well, uh, look at Acts 15. Uh, their form of bishops being the head government governing official uh, comes from a couple of places. One of them is regarding James. He was one leader among many other leaders is really how we would take it, but they would say that, see, here's an example of a bishop. James was a bishop. And early in the church, we know that uh, the bishop of Rome and the bishop of Jerusalem and the bishop of those areas became pretty powerful figures. And often those bishops would come together and do councils. The bishops would come together for their councils. So 
If you're asking me whether or not God's church can work in an Episcopalian or Episcopal government form or not, I would say it can. It, I think it functioned this way in, in other times. However, when I look at Scripture, I don't come to the conclusion that that's how you should interpret the difference between presbytery and bishop. I think those are terms that are synonymous. Do you understand? Shepherd, pastor, overseer, bishop are all synonymous terms for the elders of a church. Okay? Yeah. It sounds more like you're this guy. Yeah. And that's what it became. It became a distinction. So James in 15.4, somebody read that. Or Acts 15.4. Acts 15.4. Acts 15.4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and direct them to observe the law of Moses. All right, stop there and then go down to 22 and read. Acts 15.22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas leading them among the, leading men among the brethren. All right, so what you see in the early church was what? A plurality of leadership, right? It, whereas the Episcopal form of the government would say that James was the dude. He was the head of the, of the Jerusalem church, and that's why when he spoke at the Jerusalem council, everybody did what? They listened. Again, I think that that's reading into the text to say that that means that there's bishops only. Okay? Do you all understand why they come to those conclusions? They might. Yes. There, yeah. Yeah. There are. There are. Yeah. There's. Episcopos is uh, the is the bishop, and then there's presbyter is the elder. So they are, that you can see why they would come to those conclusions, and it all has to do with an interpretation of a word, a title, and again. I think church government is one of these things, guys. I think church government is not perfectly black and white laid out in Scripture. Okay? You heard it, and y'all are like, uh-oh, Pastor Mike. I, I don't think you can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's no, no distinction between bishop and elder. However, in all my study, and as I continue to look at the scriptures, it doesn't appear that bishops kept on. It, it appears that bishop became the elder, elders are the pastors. Do you understand what I'm getting at? So if I personally, and I think our church is autonomous and we've established these things, this is what we're sticking to. But 
if you were asking me, could I have fellowship with a guy that was an Anglican, I could have really good fellowship with those people if they were solid biblically. You with me? So I'm not going to die on fellowship with that. I wouldn't separate from them. Okay? If somebody came and joined our church and said, you know, I kind of lean congregational because I can't really see the full uh, argument, we're not going to say, nope, can't be a member of the church. Okay? This is one of those that I think you've got to be careful on. Timothy and Titus were told what? Point elders. So what do you think the Episcopal form of government says Timothy and Titus were? Bishops. Even though, is it anywhere listed in Scripture that they were bishops? No. Yes, sir. I'm guessing it would be. No, I think that's elder, isn't it? In 15.4, it's elder. It doesn't say bishop there. Okay. So, but the Episcopal form of government, you have to understand that they, ne- they are not Roman Catholic in that, that they don't believe that the, the Pope was a succession or the apostles were a succession, okay? So you, we're only talking about Protestants right now, even though he did list Roman Catholic, okay? Roman Catholics, in a sense, use an Episcopal form, but they also have say that there's a higher higher one, which would be the bishop of Rome, which would be the pope. And where did they say he came from? The succession? Peter. Peter. The irony is, is we're not positive Peter even made it to Rome. So Paul made it to Rome. We know that for sure because Rome, you know, we, we understand. We'll see at the end of Acts. All right. Second form is Presbyterian. The Presbyterian form. That first, the governing authority is in the hands of the elders from Presbyteros, the elders. The local church is governed by the sessions, which is composed of ruling elders elected either by the membership or by the elders themselves. So they have elders, and then they have the local church has elders, and the members elect. Or they're appointed elders from other the, the bigger elder board or the elder group from the presbyter. Usually the teaching elder is presiding officer of the church. In the Presbyterian denomination, there are three ascending bodies. Here's the three ascending bodies. The presbytery includes all ordained ministers, teaching elders, or one ruling elder from each local congregation in the district. So that's the presbytery. And then there's the synod, which is even bigger, carries synod, S-Y-N-O-D. Synod, 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 not synod, or not senate, but synod. I didn't want to say synod because I think they say it, synod. Needless to say, S-Y-N-O-D. And then there's the general assembly, which is both the synod and... Both the general uh, synod and the general assembly have equal divisions between ministers and laymen. So you have laymen that are included in the, the, the whole thing. Ultimately, is there any evidence for this? Clear evidence that the care of the church was committed to elders. We know that, right? So that part of their government we would agree with. 
that elders would run the local church. We all understand that. Second, some say that there is also evidence of different levels among the elders. Look at 1 Timothy 5.17. We would just say that this is part of the elder board, and we'll talk about this as we go along. We make these kind of distinctions, too, to a degree. All right, so somebody read 5.17, 1 Timothy 5.17. Okay, so their idea is, is that you have elders that are preaching and teaching, and they're the ones that only do that for their work, and so therefore there's like a what? There's levels, okay, in the elder board. Um, that's what the Presbyterians would say, that there's levels. You have, you know, the local elders, and then you have the synod that has a higher level. Do you understand? We would argue... We would argue that that doesn't necessarily mean that that's, there's outside bodies of elders. We would still argue for autonomy of the local church. And that, that, that difference in levels, uh, you may have lay elders and, and uh, what do you call them? Lay elders and then us. What do you call us? Working elders? <laughs> no. uh, full-time ministry elders. Yeah, we would say that that is a reality in churches. However, we wouldn't say that there's another level outside the church. Okay? Questions? A lay elder in our church would be different than a lay elder in their church. Yes. In our church, lay elders, which right now we don't have any lay elders, we're hoping to appoint a couple before the end of the year. The idea of lay elders is lay elders will have the same, uh, for lack of a better term, leadership role. They will still have the same, uh, when we get together, if we vote on something, they will have just as much of a vote as a as a. Uh, a full-time ministering elder, um, they just won't be paid for that service. It's the same thing as what the elders would be here, it's just some are full-time and some are full-time. Right, right, it, which means a lay elder might have more freedom to be able to take care of other things if they're working a job or whatever, whereas the full-time pastor, that's all he's doing, a full-time elder. Yes, because of First Timothy 3, we would say, would they preach as much as me? Probably not. Would they, pre you know, like Stephen, Lord willing, will be an elder um, in by May. We're hoping to ordain him in May. When that happens, he's not going to necessarily take on preaching one-third of all the sermons. We believe that the elder board can have different, I think the scriptures say this too, the elder board can have different gift sets within each elder. And so that you will use the elder in his gift set, um, if that makes sense. Does that, any, does that answer all your questions? Any other questions about that? Okay. Good. 
The basis uh, for authoritative bodies above, above the local church is usually found in Acts 15 and 16. We know this, right? And also the councils. We know that the councils did meet and they made authoritative statements for, for governance over the church, right? However, um, we as a church would say that those councils and creeds are just that they are interpretations of the scripture. They're not a binding creed on our church. The scripture is binding on our church, right? A council is not a binding thing unless you believe in a Presbyterian form of government where you would say that a bishop of Rome can speak to my church and give authority. Do you understand? Councils are excellent uh, at giving us great interpretation of what the scripture is, but they are not scripture themselves. Okay? The Apostles' Creed is not a scripture it's an interpretation of the scriptures. Okay? All right. Yes, he was a bishop of Hippo. He so was the bishop what, what of Hippo. What did the church government look like at that time? Would his, yeah. would his office have been distinct from a local elder? I, I think he would have been a bishop, which therefore he would have been in a uh, episcopal form, so he'd probably been like a leader in an area, but he probably also preached in a local church, is my guess. But some of those theologians, and after they certain hit a certain time, they kind of uh, phased out of the regular everyday preaching and became more of an overseer of several churches. And again, I this is where I would say I, why we stand on the, the autonomy of the local church, and we'll talk about that in a second. This is one of the reasons why we believe in our church government that it is, that each church is autonomous. They're accountable to Christ directly through their elder board. If you, if, if you do it other ways, this is why I, I'm not a super huge fan of some denominations. What happens with a denomination is, is if you have people that are like head over you to a degree, if the denomination goes crash, what happens to you? You crash, or you're associated with crashers, <laughs> with liberals. Do you understand? So I think that the church was set up, and I think Christ did this as he set up the autonomy of the church, local church so that he can start a work here and then start a work there, and if this work starts to go down, he still got this over here, and he can work over here and start a new church and do more plants. Okay? Whereas denominational, and we all understand that... Uh, <laughs> The, the grab for power, even in the regenerate man, is still something that has to be put to death. Do you understand? So I, I think the autonomy, uh, the autonomous, that the church can stand on its own. This church is autonomous. Nobody else governs this church. That's right. That's right. And where we get our pastors. Say, I pass away. Where do, you, where do you get your elders? Well, if you're part of the denomination, there's this natural push to say what? Got to go to the denomination to get my pastor, to get another elder. Whereas, ideally, what would happen? It all be raised up from within. Ideally, that's what you'd be doing. 
But even if you bring from outside, you want to bring the best elder that's the closest to your philosophy of ministry. Not necessarily just because a guy's a Southern Baptist or a Methodist or a bishop says that this is the church you need to have. Which happens in the Methodist church. Every seven years, they're replacing pastors. And the bishops put these people in place. So you get another pastor every seven years or so. Whether you like it or not. Okay? First Baptist is Southern Baptist. So they'll often draw from the Southern Baptist Convention only. Now, the Southern Baptists are a little different because they would say that they, they believe in the autonomy of the local church and their congregational rule. However, they do traditionally still link together. And so by tradition, they're still, maybe they're not doing it by, by actual government, but traditionally they are linked. And so you'll hear this in the Southern Baptist circles, oh, he can't be our pastor, he's not a Southern Baptist. Do you understand? So they will only draw from within. So they do it more by tradition, not by, by actual Presbyterian Paul. They, yeah, they said that they had a, a, a board that they answered to. Yep. They said the board thinks this guy right. is the best fit. Okay. He's going to come preach to you, sir, you know, and then you vote on him. They right. had a congregational vote. Right. So, like, the board. Who's the board? Okay. This, yeah, it is. Yeah. I want to, I, I was a little harsh a couple weeks back or probably a month ago, month and a half ago, and said this church will never have committees. I hate committees. You remember that? And then I said the stupid statement, if you're a visitor here, I'm sorry if you don't like that. It was something stupid. It was like, man, I could have said that a little bit more gracious. But their board was a committee. Their board was formed from the church. So they picked random people in the church, probably they would say faithful members, and said, because they think you got to be a cross-section of the church in order to pick the pastor, so you can form this committee from the church of a cross-section, and they're the board, and they make a recommendation to the church. But that's a very congregational concept of government, even in picking their pastors. We would argue that you should never, well, I, I, I love you guys, but we would argue that the scriptures never even point closely to the congregation appointing their elders or their pastors. It, you should take the most mature people in the church and have them pick who should be your pastor if there's a replacement. Now, all that said, we all know that if something happened, you know, God forbid the Lord takes me home, uh, Mark's probably not just going to automatically appoint somebody without getting some feedback from you guys. We would definitely want feedback, and he would probably go to the deacons and have them first. We're going to do those things. So it's communication, but led by the leaders, by the elders. Okay? Yes, sir. Yeah, independent Baptists or congregation are, are, are most of the time, I don't know of any that aren't. Well, there might be a few that are elder-led, but most of them are congregational. 
independent Baptist or congregational. Let's talk about the congregational form real quickly. The governing power rests ultimately with the people of the local church. So a congregational form of government says that the people are the ultimate power. All the people, all the sheep. Usually each local church is independent from all other authorities, so they're autonomous normally. Congregational authority is democratic with each member, whether a pastor or a layperson, having one vote. Okay, so every single person in the congregation's votes just the same. Pastors normally have significant influence, however, so in other words, that however should be at the front of the sentence. So in other words, the pastor, and haven't y'all seen this in the independent Baptist circles? Any of y'all, most of y'all come from that, right? Look, by raise of hands, how many of you have come from an independent Baptist background? Raise your hand. One, two. Nobody else? Only two of you? How many of you came from Southern Baptist? Southern Baptist. One, two, three. Where did you come from? Not <laughs> Catholic, non-denominational. Southern Baptist. I'll make sure. <laughs> what what would you say though after read after me reading what I said what form of government would you say they had congregational most of you say the form of government was congregational you had episcopal They would say, independent Baptists would say that they are Baptistic, but they're autonomous, and they stress the autonomy of the local point, church to the point of saying that we are not a part of a denomination. So, yeah, the church I grew up in, so they would be an independent Baptist church. Okay, well then there are some. There are some. And I, 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 again, I'm talking... Right. I, I'm not saying it's always, but again, I would say as a whole, most independent Baptists and almost all Southern Baptists are uh, congregational-leaning churches. Now, Mark Devers and some of those guys have kind of moved away from it to a more elder-led congregation. Christ, Christ in Idlewild was Southern Baptist, but Christ, weren't you at Christ Community before? I think they're I think they're independent, non denominational, baptistic elder run though, aren't they? Yeah, elder and deacon, but basically uh running the show. Yeah. <laughs> so in other words, they got elders in there, but they got tenants. It's more of a stamp, a rubber stamp. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, most of the congregational form of governments, I, I think it's kinda interesting to me that it, it, they they often say, I want democracy, I want to vote. But in the end, the pastor runs the show a lot, a lot. There's something about people, we want to vote somebody to just kind of hold responsible for everything that goes on in the church. We want to have a vote, but when we get a vote, we just say, he's responsible. It's very much like our country. Instead of taking ownership, we blame it all on the leader. Do you understand? Yeah. Yeah. 
by the government? Yeah, I would invite that guy to our church and tell him, hey, why don't you come hang out with my pastor for 15 minutes and you'll see he doesn't, the government doesn't do. Yeah, I, I think really, Wendell, when it comes down to it, there's a, a big push for people. A lot of people say, I'm not going to go to church because of the bad, the corruption or whatever. And some of those are the, the excuses people use well most people do I mean we're we all want to give a justification of why we don't go and listen to the word of God right and so we hear this regularly yeah but again be gracious with the guy there is some validity of truth to what he says there is a lot of corruption out there but I think I think your answer to defending it is not, and I've I've often said this. I don't think the way to defend uh, Christianity is through a, through going to the very hot button that the person's trying to talk about. I think it's to go to the gospel and try to build a relationship and talk about the gospel, get a person saved, and then they'll say, "I want to be around godly people." Uh, that's just my take. Somebody's throwing up all these flares all over the place. Church is corrupt. Pastors are horrible. Don't go over there and spend all this time on these things. Focus on what's going to change their heart, which is the gospel, that then you're going to be able to see what a regenerate believer looks like, and they'll say, oh, I want to go to the church. Because I used to use that excuse, too. I went to an Episcopal church most of my life, and the the Bible thumpers would come talk to me, and I'd say, I've seen the church. It's a bunch of hypocrites. Who wants to go to church? I saw it. It was all fake. My dad used to say he loved to be an Episcopalian because they were called the Wiscopalians. You could drink whiskey and still go to the Episcopal church. So... So I would use that as an excuse. It wasn't until the gospel was presented to me that I actually came alive in the gospel, and then I'm like, I need to go to church. And I want to go to a place that's going to teach the Bible. Not that my way is the only way, but... All right. Democratic representation does not forbid the uh, delegation of authority for agreed-upon areas. This is very common with the congregational rule. I will tell you that one of the biggest things that I saw with the congregational model that, that was scary is, is that people were given committee positions because of their influence and how they would then follow behind the pastor and do what the pastor wanted. It was all a manipulative, political system to get their agenda across. So the pastor would often use these committees to accomplish his will. Put this guy in the finance committee because he'll give me what I want in my financial buddy. It's all politics, which goes back to I don't think it should ultimately be run by the congregation. Okay? Yeah. What scripture Again, the only one that they can come up with is the Acts 6. Uh, the Acts, am I naming it right? Acts 6, where the deacons, my mind just went blanket. Yes. Yeah, where they came together and they say appoint or, uh, and the congregation put forward. 
that's the only thing they can really say other than uh, I guess you could go with First uh, Peter chapter 2 as like a hyper, the priesthood of the belie- all believers. They would take that to the nth degree and say that that means everybody's a priest. We're a part of the royal priesthood, so therefore we're all equal in position too. And I, again, I don't think you can make that argument stand when it says in First Peter 5, submit yourself to the elders. So I, I think you have a, I think it goes, contradicts. Right. Yeah, so he, he's in, assuming his position of authority there. Yeah. Evidence for the local autonomy of the church. Let's look at this real quickly. 1 Corinthians 5, 13, somebody read that. And then Matthew 18, 16 and 17. Okay, so, again, what this implies is is that each church has a responsibility to do what? If there's someone within the body that's in rebellion to God, at the end of church discipline, what are we supposed to do? Put them outside the church. Which implies that the autonomy is where? In that local church. If it wasn't this way, then it would say... Paul, call your bishop, and he give him the authority to put them out. Do you understand? That's why it's, it appears that the local churches. Matthew 18, 16, and 17. Somebody read that. Eighteen, sixteen, and 17. Go All right, so obviously it, impo- it, it, it involves a local body making a final determination and of, of uh, or carrying out, not determination, but carrying out church discipline, okay? Which, by the way, the more we become, I, I was talking to the guys, at, some of the guys at, at lunch about this a little bit about the social media. I think we, I think we can fall into some big, some traps with social media. I think it's destroying the autonomy of the local church to a degree. And let me tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because you got people speaking from all over the place to people that are in other churches, and handing down judgments and stuff on what you should do. And it becomes, to a degree, uh, it's minimized the autonomy of the local church and maximized a good communicator. It's minimized the autonomy of the local church and the relationship involved in being a disciple maker and carrying out discipline. Carrying out discipline is supposed to be what? In this kind of body, you're not supposed to. If if I got a letter from some guy saying I saw Steve do something, 
you need to kick him out of his church, out of your church. Why would I listen to that person? The autonomy should be the local church. We should be functioning in the local body. Do you understand? Pontificating and having a, a good communicator kind of smack everybody around, uh, we need to be very careful of that. I think it's kind of undermining. Now, I'm not saying that John MacArthur should stop speaking on the radio, <laughs> but, but I am saying to a degree the autonomy of the local church is starting to take a hit that instead of discipline being done the way it's supposed to be, which is in relationship, we're, we're, we're setting ourselves up for some fall. Okay? Take that for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, and I think the Lord, I think the Lord's doing that, for lack of a better term. He's disciplining them very well. Sure, I know. And a church planner, I would say, to a degree, has a role. I, I, again, here's the problem, Shane. I, I understand what you're saying. I'm not saying it. it's an all-or-nothing situation. I, I think we're on the same. I'm just kind of bantering a little bit to kind of show you what I'm getting at. There is something about Paul speaking to those guys that he was there for three years and labored with that has a lot more punch than somebody that just kind of lobs a grenade from the other side of the street. Do you understand what I'm getting at? We see this all the time. We are lobbing grenades constantly at one another. It would be better, in my opinion, I've got enough to keep myself busy with the sheep here and my own heart that I'm constantly working to put the death sin in. For me to stay focused here, easy for me to say while I'm sitting here, I'm not John MacArthur. And my voice doesn't have this radiance that goes out all over the world. But we're seeing, you see this demise in things like uh, Mark Driscoll's ministry, where a guy has millions, hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. Next thing you know, he's just blown up a church. And... It's because outside sources are making these guys into more than they are. And the autonomy of the local church and the plurality of the elder board has become not that important. I love John MacArthur, but I think there's not a lot of John MacArthur's out there. And, you know, there's Sproul, there's John MacArthur, there's James Montgomery Boyce, just a couple of guys, you know what I mean? That, but as a whole, I don't think that's, I don't know if that necessarily helps the autonomy local church. I'll leave it at that, okay? I think we're on the same page. All right, so the local church is obviously, the local church has authority to elect its own officers. Acts 6 appoints, uh, it, it has, it does allude to that. The local church has the authority to guard and oversee the ordinances. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Remember, I delivered to you, Paul said, put those, uh, those people that are not taking this in a, a, a right manner. We're supposed to protect the ordinances. The local church has authority to settle its own difficulties. 1 Corinthians 6, he says, put that person out of the church. Local church has authority to matters involving the relationship 
relations of different local churches. Now, this is an interesting one. Uh, Acts 15 shows, I, I struggle with what he's saying here. What kind of relationship are we supposed to have with other local churches? This is a, this is a, this is a one that I'm not going to die on. I want, I want to hear your input on this. What, what amount of association with, should we have with other churches? I think it's a, yes, sir. But we don't know them, and we're not. He uses here that it's it's good to come together, and he uses Acts 15. But my problem with using Acts 15 is is that it was apostles that were accomplishing that in Acts 15. Do you understand what I mean? And it's also during the formation of the church. So, I, you know, I, I I'm I'm still I'm still working through this one. I'm. Again, anybody else? Any other comments? Yes, sir. See, here we're going to get into it. This is this is a, a difficult concept, isn't it? Because aren't we aren't we we can we can pendulum one way or the other. The one way would be what? Let's all come together no matter what, right? And then the other side is cut out all churches, and it's me and us and us alone. And I think the answer is somewhere in between. I think, yeah. I agree. I understand. Yes, sir. I agree. Maybe not even like from a leadership down 
Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's not a either or. Yeah. It's a, a careful to emphasize what's most important. Yeah. And I think you, you all know that um, to be really a part of this church takes, sometimes it's real easy, but other times it can be difficult. You have to know people that don't necessarily, I mean, we're a very multicultural church, in light of that, that means it's going to put you outside of your comfort zone a little bit. If we only go to where we're, it's easiest, then we might end up at a different church. So I think loving the brethren implies loving those in your local body, which means sacrifice, and it means putting yourself out, for lack of a better term, Right? It's not always comfortable to love the people in this local body because it's not as easy sometimes, but it's still what God's called us to do. And I think that's where, that's what the autonomous or the local body is all about. All right, so conclusion, uh, lack of clarity for details of type of church government for two reasons. The earliest church operated on the basis of gifts and the earliest church operated under the authority of the apostles. Now, what I mean, what does what does he mean by this, and I'll kind of develop this a little bit. You understand that when we read the New Testament, especially Acts, um, and even some of the epistles, we're we're stepping in and we're looking at a set of the way things functioned that are not the same as today. So, if we don't have apostles today, and we don't have the the gifts the same way at least, let's we can all say that agree with that. Then the way the church looked during the New Testament is not perfectly it doesn't give us a perfect blueprint for exactly how it should run. Does that make sense? It doesn't tell us exactly how a government should run because the way that it ran before ran with the apostolic authority having a major part in each body. Does everybody understand? Yes, sir. And we don't have apostles. That's the foundation. So how do, we, how do we set it up to the model that the local church was in the early time if we don't have the same authority structure? Yeah. No. Description. 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 Description.
why did they vote? Why do they have the Pope? They have the Pope because they said the apostolic authority passed down. Do you understand? So if we try to put, impose our government and make it look like their government in Acts, we're going to, we might find our way into doing the same exact thing. That's right. And we would all agree. Amen. Everybody in the room says, Amen. Yet, some of the words that they gave us gave us words while they were there ruling in a church. To understand, like 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking in an authoritative way in certain things. Do we impose all of those things? So we have to be careful. We have to interpret the scriptures in its context. So I would say, Amen. Just make sure we keep it in its context. And we know its context and how it applies. Okay? So, all that said, we aren't going to die on church government, but we believe the church is autonomous and it's led by the elders, so we're going to go that way. Okay? All right. The elder rule or elder led is obviously found by Paul telling Timothy to appoint elders, right? And Titus. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, it says, But we request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. So it implies that there is an authority base within the church. Obey your leaders, Hebrews 13, 7, and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not grief. Yet we would... I would say that uh, congregational involvement is a part of things. Acts 15 does point to a congregational involvement. Um, so where am I out on the lead versus rule? I think um, I think for me personally, I like the word led better uh, just because coming from an elder that's younger than some of you in the room, it would it makes no sense to tell you I'm your ruler. It, that just doesn't come off right, first of all. It's not very respective of people that are uh, above me, uh, older than me, and some of you are wiser than me. So I, would, I lean that it's led. However, practically working out, I would say that obviously the buck stops with us. So we make the decisions. We do these decisions. We're going to be held accountable for what decisions are made and the direction. If I said tomorrow we're going to stop preaching expository sermons and I'm going to start preaching topical sermons, that could be the decision of the elder board. However, however at that point you might say, we need to go in a different direction than the leadership. Does that make sense? But I think that the, the elders are the ones that are supposed to make those decisions. Now, y'all help me with some of the decisions I've thought through in the last couple months, some of the things. Here's some. Uh, whether the church should go in debt or not at all to buy a building. Now, several of you in the room say, 
no way. Never debt. Some of you in the room might say, if your payment is less than what your payment is here, then it would be a wise thing to do it. Are the elders supposed to make this decision, or are, is the congregation supposed to make this decision? It just depends on how spiritual you are. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They did not. Yes, they do. Well, they still have some of those things, but maybe it's in a different format. Elders are still making some pretty big decisions there, even in those house churches. Well, we're not meeting this guy tonight because he lives. His, we found out right next to him is a guy that's a communist, and he's bugging your house. We're we're moving over there. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you're still, you're still, you know what I mean. You're still making decisions. I I, I think the answer to the question. I guess I'll go ahead and answer it. I think elders should be seeking the counsel of their congregation. They should be at least getting them involved in asking, because if they're not asking and knowing the pulse of the people. You're 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 going to be you, at the bare minimum. You need to be able to lead them in the right direction. If you're gonna if you're going in one direction and you've got this idea and everybody in the church is really thinking something totally different than you, well then maybe you need to stop back, step back, and ask. I see this a lot like marriage. That's that's my take on it. And the guys that rule in their house with an iron fist are probably not the kind of elders you want. If your wife is actually involved and can talk <laughs> and give you wisdom and you can hear it, then you're probably going in the right direction. Does that make sense? Because you got to have, look, you know how many times my wife's helped me from falling off a cliff? Kept me from falling off cliffs since the 21 years of my marriage? Const uh, numerous times. I'd say more than 50. Praise God that he gave me a wife that's wise. And he's given me a congregation that has wisdom too. It would be awfully foolish of me to try to lead this without seeking some of the wisdom in the congregation. Okay, that's why, have you all noticed, some of you, I know, some of you, I know some of you in the room, I've come up to you and said, what do I do with this, what would you do with this, what do you think of this, what do you think of these circumstances, it's because I know in some ways you're going to be able to give me insights that I don't see, and Mark doesn't see, and right, so, yes.
Your Honor. When would it be that I would do it anyway? Never. <laughs> if most of the church says we don't need to go that direction, I'm probably not going to lead the ship away from it. I would take the same thing with my wife. Does that mean that we're a congregational-run church? No. My, my, my thinking is this. Some of you that are married, maybe you can tell me. If your wife, Bob, tells you, I just don't think this is a good idea, and, I don't, I, you know, and gives you maybe two or three reasons, there are times that you might go ahead and do it, but most of the time that's like a big caution for you, isn't it? <laughs> no, I okay. I'm dead with you, bro. <laughs> Amen. I told my wife, I told my wife, uh, I was at uh, Antioch Baptist Church. I told her, I want to go to Dallas, move to Dallas, and go to seminary. And she looked at me and went, why? Are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I just want to get some more study. I want to get some more training. She said, well, if that's what you want to do, okay. I just think we, are you sure right now, now? Don't you think it would be better to wait? So I went to the Shepherds Conference by God's providence and saw the seminary at Masters and went to her two months later and said, baby, I really think I should go to California and go to Masters Seminary, and here's the six reasons why I should go. And she said, okay, let's go. What changed? God changed her heart. God didn't change. He changed her heart. Got her ready for what needed to do happen. And I think that would be the same with us and in, in our direction. I was just going to say, I think that when you marry, particularly if you've been married for a long time, it's just God's wisdom to, to consult your wife, if you will. Because if you don't, then you're not. That's what health is about. It can help you make decisions, you know. I know I've made some bad decisions because I neglected to listen to my wife when I should have. And it hurts tremendously. Sense, but you're not seeing. One of my situations, all I could see was the money, and she was seeing something else. <laughs> Amen. I get it. I do want to let you know, though, and, and I learned this from at Masters. Did you know that at one point the Grace Community Elders made a decision to build a building on the campus there, and the building. They built it, spent a bunch of money, and the, the, it was bad. It's a bad decision because it set things up to not work to grow in other areas. So they, had, they went back to the congregation and told the congregation, we blew it. We're sorry. We messed up. It was wrong planning. Shouldn't have built that building there. Will you all forgive us? Our wisdom thought that that's what we were supposed to do, but... It was wrong. Will you forgive us? 
that's an elder board. Because the fact of the matter is, is that, look, we're going to make mistakes. They knocked it down and built something else. Said, now we need to go this direction in order for that to happen. But it's going to cost us. What does that say? Well, to me, that says if these godly men that spent hours praying about this issue and still can make mistakes, if they can own it, the congregation needs to be kind enough to realize that they're just men. And you need to, you need to be able to say, Pastor Mike and Mark, and Stephen, and maybe the two other guys that we, two or three other guys that we do, we're going to make mistakes. And you, you're going to have to be patient with us, just like my wife has had to be patient with me when sometimes I went ahead and made that decision against her better judgment. And what's that? That's called a relationship. It's called putting up with people, loving each other, despite us. I'm going to make mistakes. Promise. So I'm just hoping that you'll be patient enough with me. All right. We will cover next week the Lord's Supper, and then I think we're almost done. Is there anything else that you wanted me to cover, guys, on this? Any questions? Yes. We'll do Lord's Supper next week. Go ahead. Ernesto, that is a good question. It's a good question, and that is one that would be put into the discussion. For example, we've been offered a building for a, um, about a million dollars. We don't have a million dollars. But if somebody donated 300000 of it, and they came off their price, 200000 of it, and it was 800000 they gave us 300000 we were at 500000 and our mortgage was at 1800 which we're paying 2000 right now in rent. Should we do that decision? What is the difference between us having equity in a house where we put enough money down that if we needed to sell it, we could get the money back out of it? What is the difference? I think that is part of the decision that we have to be held accountable to. Um, it's a great question, and I'm still working on it. And until Mr. Mart, me, and Stephen, and probably not until after we have the other two elders on the board, will we even come close to making that decision. So I'm not jumping in that pond without a lot of counsel. So. Under. It's the same way with the church. It would be wisdom to go spend a million if you don't have a million. But on the other hand, if somebody gave us three, four hundred thousand dollars, 
they reduce the price, hey, my mortgage is less than what I'm paying in rent. Then you got to really consider that. Right. You have to at least look at it real good. Yeah. Because that, you know, that makes a difference. Yep. And again, there are some people in the room that might even say, I don't care. We're never going to have a mortgage either. See, that's why you have a, that's why you have, at the end of the day, you're going to have some people that would say they don't believe in any debt at all on any mortgages. So, again, we can't do it. We're ne a lot of these decisions can't be made based on unanimous decision of the congregation. Because if it was, we would, we probably wouldn't move and do anything ever. We'd be, there would probably be somebody saying, wait a second, what about this? How many, are y'all anything like me? I'm kind of that guy occasionally, that I'm always looking at the other angle. Anybody else in here like that? Can you imagine? That means you're probably like your shepherd, which means that we have a church full of people that are like that. Amen. Amen. Well, yeah, and I'm not making a decision, but but y'all understand where we're at with these kind of decisions. It's right down. If I tell you, you can't go drive up into the parking lot. Uh, you know where Fowler is? Uh, you'll see it. I'll sh I'll let you look at it. Do y'all know where Fowler and 75 are? There is a building up off of, when you're getting off of 75, there's a building up on the right. Up on the right. Big church building. When you go south on 75, or no, north on 75. North on 75, you're getting off Fowler. There's a church building right here on the right. No, it's not you turn. This is on Fowler. That's further down Fowler. This is right on the exit off of 75. As you're getting off of 75, up here on the right, there's a building, a church building, a big one. It's called Faith Bible, I think it's called. But you cannot get into it by getting off of Fowler. You have to go out to 301 and come in from behind. It's up here on the right. It's, up, it's on the right as you get off of 75. But in the church. It's a Pentecostal church. The reason I ask that question, you know, to go back to wisdom again, and I would say if it's not a church building, I don't care how much the price is. I know from experience in Lincoln County, I know it's going to cost you a whole lot more mm. because that's what we come into play. And mm. so I know, so we deal with it a lot with churches. Huh. Yeah, we, we, believe it or not, churches are buying, of course, people I deal with when it comes to work. <laughs> I can believe it. I can believe it. Needless to say, y'all can y'all now know, but don't go knock on the door. And it's a Pentecostal church. There's only 20 people there. It seats 300. It helps us know how to pray. It's it's a really it's a nice facility. Mark and I and Stephen and I think DeRossi was with us. We went and looked at it. It's gonna it'd have to be a it'd have to be all God to bring yeah. it about. Yeah. Huh? They want a, they uh, they started a million too, but it has a it has a it has a parsonage on it, a big one, but we don't need the parsonage, so. 
parsonage, a house. It's a four four bedroom, two bath house with a. Yeah, it's not even officially listed on sale yet oh, either. Okay. There's only 20 to 30 people in the church. But, yeah, y'all can pray about it. I mean, I, I'm just praying that my prayer for this thing has been for a long time. We'll just stay here until Richard gives us this building. Or, or God drops the money into our lap to buy one of those kind of buildings. That's my hope. I don't really want to go into debt.